Training Bites, the official podcast for the Borderland Training Lifestyle in 15 minutes or less. With today's host, Nathan Wagar, talking about how to recognize an expert. Hey guys, welcome to Borderland Training Bites, the official podcast of Borderland Training. I'll be your host for today, Nathan Wagar. And today's topic is how do you recognize an expert? And I mean this more in performance-based environments, whether it's military, law enforcement, any kind of training environment. And this is a really deep topic. I mean, this is stuff that people write poetry about. So we're not going to spend too much time on it because there's so much more that could be said. But If I were to give a basic framework for how to understand how an expert tends to act, why, and where those traits come from, I would say that a good way to think of it is a confident performance lifestyle. And those are three different aspects. The order doesn't really matter. We're going to cover performance first. Performance is the most important criteria first off. An expert obviously performs well. Okay, he or she has competence in it and they can explain it to others. Even in math, we have to prove our work. We have to be able to prove that something is true. And as Aristotle pointed out many times, someone that teaches has a higher level of understanding than someone who's merely a practitioner. This is why in systems and arts such as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, The practitioner that eventually attains their black belt will then go on to become an instructor themselves. Now, what sets the performance of someone at a high level apart from someone of a lesser level is that everything they do, small or large, all funnels into that end goal. There is no wasted motion. There's no wasted time. And the easiest way to understand that is in my branch of philosophy anyway, we have something called proximal and distal causes. So, Proximal causes are basically the means that I would use to achieve the ends. So let's say that I couldn't reach something on the top shelf. Well, first I need to find a chair and then I'm going to stand on that chair. And that would be the proximal cause to the final cause or the end, which is to reach the top shelf. With an expert, the goal isn't just to achieve that final end. It's that all of the subordinate causes, all of the proximal causes, the means are subjugated to that end in the most efficient manner possible. So the process matters just as much as the end game. To return to that example, let's say that the performance point is to reach the top shelf. And sure, I go and I get the chair, but I'm also going over, I'm messing around, pouring out some cereal, eating breakfast, this and that. Now there was no time limit. I achieved the end. So I achieved that performance point, but the process was flawed. There was wasted motion, wasted time. It was inefficient. An expert is able to pare away everything that is extraneous to the performance point. And that includes every performance point that is necessary to accomplish before the final performance point. Even a street fighter can get a knockout, but a boxer performs that process of proximal causes, those means of efficient movement, punching, head movement, to affect the performance point of the knockout. Now, the result of this kind of mentality, and this is particularly easy to see in the military community, 
is that military people can seem kind of terse. And the reason for that is that when you have that strictly performance mentality, they tend not to give any one point more emphasis than it requires. If my directive is to get you to answer a question, I get that answer and then I move on to performance point two. I don't keep talking to you. That's a very military kind of efficiency. And within the military paradigm, that would be a sign of efficiency and uh, effective performance. The problem is when that gets applied to people, people tend to get their feelings hurt. And it's not that the person, the military guy, sees them as unimportant. They're critically important to the process, but they are one point among many and spending too much time on you, especially within a classroom setting at, say, a tactical course, means that it is less time for everybody else. And they are all equally important performance points that goes to the end goal. Cool. So let's move to the next point, lifestyle. It's a performance lifestyle. A lifestyle means that you're in it for the long haul. So that is going to, it can and it will, change how you approach the game, so to speak. And I can give many examples of that. To give a military example, I see guys that teach room entry and room clearing courses, and they have a certain style of holding their rifle that is affectionately referred to as the tactical turtle, and their shoulders are really raised up, and it's to help manage recoil. And I get that. That's cool. That's fine. I I don't really have anything to say about that. I don't use it personally, but whatever. But I also know that someone that advocates shooting like that all the time, or even as a base, has not kicked in door after door after door raiding a section of a city because a lot of that stuff goes out the window after the first house or two. You have to pace yourself. And so the techniques and the pacing and the rhythm are going to reflect that. You can see that effect even in a boxing fight itself. The guy that's there to play a certain game plan, his performance point is to achieve a 10th round knockout, let's say. He's going to play a completely different game than somebody that's there to end it right in the beginning, like Tyson. Then when Tyson lost those attributes and got back out of prison, he wasn't able to play that game and then all his performance went to crap. If you want to approach actual training, when I was, I go to jiu-jitsu quite frequently. I've noticed personally that three days a week isn't enough for me and five days a week is too much. I can do about a month of that, but with the boxing and everything else, eventually what happens is I usually get a rib injury because I've got some bad ribs from prior injuries. So for me, four days a week is pretty much the the sweet spot. For me to live that lifestyle and for me to achieve optimum performance and at the same time maintain that performance, four days a week is, that's where I want to be. Now, what this all means is that so far we've got performance and we've got the lifestyle aspect, and that leads to a very focused relaxation. Experts are efficient so that they can perform, and that performance also leads to a certain amount of relaxation because you have to allocate your resources. And through performance, you know what your resources are. If I see a room entry team and they're moving into the the shoot house and they're, they're looking sharp, but they have this very rigid... It's almost like movie style entry. That's cool, but can you sustain that? Well, of course the answer is no, you can't. So you have to find that balance between someone who does this for a lifestyle versus maybe a part-time SWAT team or something like that. In the military community, this can even be seen between infantry and non-infantry during deployments. 
So you might see guys on the fob and they meet the guys like Air Force or officers. They might fail to salute or they have a more relaxed attitude. And these guys haven't been deployed as much. They're not used to that constant stress. And so they have plenty of resources to allocate to their rear echelon performance. So their entire end performance point is the FOB. And the FOB is just forward operating base. So it's like a little small base out there in Iraq, Afghanistan, wherever the war theater is. And if the FOB is your performance point and it's not as stressful, then you have more resources to allocate to that. And so you're going to take those things more seriously. Now, the infantryman is used to a far more stressful environment. He has to pace himself psychologically, emotionally, mentally, and that's going to lead to a different mentality. Unless you're a ranger and then you're just crazy. And the final point is that of confidence. And humility plays into that. And the old definition of humility is actually quite different from what most people tend to think. Most people tend to think, especially in the military, of the quiet professional. And they're often surprised to find out that that doesn't exist quite the way they think it does. Humility is having a good idea of where you are in the universe. You know what you can do and you know what you can't do. You can see this in a lot of ways. I remember that I used to be really uh, touchy about my weight because when I was growing up, I was poor. I didn't eat a lot, so I was really thin. And I, I never understood why wrestlers didn't care about their weight. They would just say what their weight was. Like it wasn't a big deal and they had no shame about it. And I was like, man, why can't I be like that? You know, because I was a little guy. So what I realized later is that they were just worried about their performance. It didn't matter if someone was heavier than them because that person can beat them because they're heavier and they're skilled. And that's the way the world works. It doesn't matter how they feel about that. What matters is performance. And because they're bringing that quiet intensity, that focus to what they do, there's no element of second-guessing themselves. They bring it all to the plate, and they know what they can do. They know they can do it, or they know they can't, and they don't even attempt, but there's no half-assed trying. It's very Yoda, if you will. Do or do not, there is no try. That is a performance lifestyle with confidence. Now, this does not mean that there's no ego. That's what a lot of people think. You're going to have an element of ego, especially in some environments like, again, military or fighters, but particularly military because it's team-based and the end goal, the performance point, is life or death. So there's always going to be this jockeying for position, this establishing of pecking order. But here's the difference with uh, the behavior of ego with an expert. It's always horizontal. It's never vertical. And what I mean by that is that we are cocky with each other because we want the respect of our peers. We want to outdo our peers. A good word put in for me by my peer is worth its weight in gold, even more so than a coach sometimes because a coach's job is to bring out your best, not to boost your self-esteem, but he's going to give you that positive feedback. Your buddy that's trying to outperform you, he ain't going to give you shit unless you deserve it. And so that's why I think what sets the expert apart is he only wants that feedback from a challenge. That's that horizontal cockiness. Now, the vertical cockiness, and this is something that is really important to note with instructors, is if they're brushing themselves up in front of you and you don't know as much as them, that is vertical cockiness. So they want you to know how awesome they are. That is not the mark of an expert mentality because it violates performance. All that matters is performance. 
you wouldn't know how good he is because you've never done what he's done. That's why there's this concept of peer review in the academic circle, because someone that doesn't understand statistics isn't even in a position to know if a statistician is making a good argument or not. So if you have someone that's talking themselves up to somebody that is below them on the skill set, then that's not the mark of an expert. And it's also not necessarily the mark of an expert to be bragging to people that don't know your abilities. They don't know you from Adam, and yet you're bragging about your skill set to them. That's common in the fight arena, and I understand the reasoning behind that. But for the most part, your actions are what talk. An expert usually lets his buddies do the talking for him or his fists, or whatever it is that he's good at. This is a side note, is why I think there's kind of this conflict about how people view mixed martial arts fighters, because they play a split role where they're an entertainer, but they're also an athlete. And so you get people that feel differently about it. Some of them think that cockiness, well, hey, that's part of being a fighter. And there's others that don't like that. They like that quiet professional mentality, like the Randy Couture kind of thing. And I understand both. And the reason why there's that split mentality is because part of it is they're being cocky sideways, horizontally to other fighters because they have that respect. But part of it is they're also doing a little bit of vertical ego in which they're selling themselves to people that really wouldn't know better. And that's an example of how these different points can affect how people act and why certain people have problems with them. But those are the basic ideas of what sets apart an expert. There's a, it's a confident performance lifestyle. So there's a relaxed focus and there's an element of uh, intensity of having complete belief in themselves, efficiency, maybe a little bit of cockiness, but not in front of the people where it doesn't matter. And that's today's podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at the website. Remember, it's Borderland Training, one word, borderlandtraining.net. There's also other podcasts and articles. So until then, challenge yourself and achieve mastery.